All right, we are live. This is Rob here from Rob School of Music on the season finale of this interview series we've been doing weekly since April. And I cannot believe my mind is blown. We're hanging out with the legendary Miss Nita Strauss. Aw, thank you for having me on. I can't believe that like you chose me for the finale. That's crazy. Thank 100%. You. Definitely, definitely. There's so much to unpack with you and, and the music and the signature stuff and the working with WWE and the fitness. So um, the first question I always try and ask is we're a music school. Um, prior to the pandemic, we did lots of in-person lessons and we would always put our students into uh, bands and have them perform at uh, street fairs or local restaurants and things. And one of the number one issues is that they get nervous. They're, they're younger in their journey. Um, and you've played some of the biggest stages ever. Um, do you have any, any tips for overcoming stage fright? Um, I guess the best tip for overcoming stage fright is kind of the most basic and it's a boring tip and not something like that is like, well, kind of duh, but you have to practice. You have to practice so much that you're not thinking about what you're playing. So if you're, you know, if you're coming up on your solo, let's say you have a, a young guitar player and the solo's coming up and the thoughts running through their head are like, okay, uh, solo's in E minor, I'm gonna start on the 12th fret, you know, uh, okay, uh, four bars, okay, I better turn off my, do, turn, turn off my, you know, my boost, put, turn it up, okay, delay goes on, like, you know, and you're like kind of thinking and, and all this stuff, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. I can't even play like that. If I start thinking like that, I will make, gigantic mistakes. I've made mistakes like that in front of a lot of people because you just start thinking too much. So you really just have to get all of that out of your head, let your muscle memory take over. And the only reason, way that you can make your muscle memory take over like that is a ton, a ton, a ton of practice, woodshedding, and not just sitting and practicing, but standing up, walking around, getting used to the movement of the guitar as you move or the movement of your instrument as you move. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to do. Actually, I love that you said standing up because so many of our students, they sit down and they get used to it and they kind of, they'll take the guitar and like angle it forward. And I'm always oh, saying yeah. like, w when you stand up, like you can't angle it forward. That's just not gonna happen. So standing up is so important. But not just standing up, the actual physical Moving. walking around, you know, like you yeah. mentioned uh, WrestleMania, I think when we were off the air and my boyfriend, Josh, he, saw, he would laugh at me when I was practicing for that because I would just walk around our couch, like in sort of figure eights and like kind of leaning and bobbing and weaving like a weirdo like because i knew that i was going to be really animated and moving around a lot and i didn't want to just be stuck in this one standing position playing a song i wanted to have my muscle memory just comfortable like if i want to lean back if i wanted to bend forward like wherever the guitar is i wanted to have that muscle memory locked in you know totally totally that ramp that you had to walk down in wrestlemania it looked like it was a million miles long and you just looked so cool and collected and shredding the whole way while walking very cool thank you um so let's let's start at the beginning was there a um a record or a show you saw that you're like ooh, i want to do that it was crossroads huh? yeah so uh the movie crossroads which has inspired so many guitar players before me and so many after me, that was like the aha moment for me seeing Steve Vai in Crossroads. Yes, he was pretty epic in that movie. Yes, the only movie where you root for like the total bad guy, the devil. Right. Like, <laughs> Ralph Macchio is cool the whole movie and then you're like, you know, F that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. I've had that conversation. I showed it to my son recently. Uh, he's, he's nine now. 
And I was like, mm -hmm. you think one thing, but you just wait. You wait till that start happening. He goes, that's awesome. I said, yes, that is awesome. That's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so I, I had a, I had Ryan Roxy on for an interview a couple nice. months back. And uh, he was talking about the uh, ritual of an Alice Cooper, uh, you know, the, the day in the life of a show. Um, what What's a day in the life of the show for you when you're doing that? Um, it's probably pretty similar to Ryan's. You know, it's Groundhog Day over here. And uh, I do see Ryan in the gym just about every morning. So we start our day pretty much the same way. You know, I wake up. Um, I go to the gym first thing, I'll either work out in our hotel or I'll find a gym nearby, like a walk or, you know, if it's a, I usually won't take an Uber because then it's like, you know, you, you start getting this habit of like, okay, well, I'll take a $5 Uber, you know, each way, this $10 a day. And then you get into like this whole thing of saving money on tour and you're like, well, if I'm spending, you know, 30, $40 a week on Ubers just to go work out, <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, but usually hotel gyms are really nice now and I travel with a lot of stuff to sort of keep me in shape, resistance bands and um, adjustable dumbbells and that kind of stuff. So I'll get a good workout in first thing in the morning um, and then I'll usually go back and work for a few hours. Uh, there's the music side to what I do and the sort of more entrepreneurial side. So merch company and uh, fitness challenge, Patreon. Um, the signature products, clinics, all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of emails, <laughs> you know, I do a lot of emails every day and, uh, you know, kind of just keeping up on all the business sides of what we're doing, you know, ordering stock and, you know, planning out for the next move, whatever the next move may be. Um, we'll usually head to the venue around four or five. Um, and I, the first thing I do when I get to the venue at Alice shows is, uh, I hide a little care package somewhere in the venue. So I have a stash of stuff that I sign, um, like monster wristbands and eight by tens and guitar picks or like whatever, each one's a little bit different. So I'll go hide that somewhere. Um, and I'll post clues on my Instagram story where people can go look for it. We call it finding Nita. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and then pretty much just go back, uh, eat a super light dinner. Uh, I don't like to eat a lot before a show. I think like most people, you know, you can't jump around and do what we all do if you're full of food. <laughs> so, uh, if I eat, it'll be like something really light, uh, chicken salad, protein shake, something like that. And then uh, get on stage, get off stage. Oh yeah, it's like, it's a pretty boring day. <laughs> like I'm going through it. Like, is there anything more interesting I can add? And then, uh, I mean, kind of the best part is usually we'll get to go out by the tour bus afterward and meet everybody, talk to everybody. Um, Ryan and I, like especially both spend a lot of time doing that just about every show. So it's always a highlight for me. That's incredible. I think making yourself accessible in that way to fans, first of all, the care package in the audience is a brilliant idea and so sweet. And uh, I'm sure whoever finds that each night is, is blown away by that. So that's really cool. The coolest thing I have found about it actually is the amount of people that share it with other people that are looking. So, you know, there's usually like three or four things in there. And you would think as like human nature is that people would be like, it's mine. Like I keep all this stuff. And, uh, it's really, really cool to see, you know, like, cause they always tag me in the post when they find it and they go, oh, you know, I found it. And then there was like a little girl looking for it. So I gave her the wristband and I kept the autograph or whatever. And I, I think it really, for the most part, brings out a cool, nice, generous side of people as well. Wow. That's even better. That's cool. I think it, um, the community of all of it as a musician, I think one of the things that I'm missing the most 
everything being shut down from a music school standpoint is our students are uh, all different ages and the parents of the students, you know, it's like a little family. And I think music can bring people together. And it's really cool to see even at, you know, the highest echelon of it, you're still doing something that's making a community. And that's really special. Absolutely. And I will say that this unprecedented, terrible, challenging year has really, I feel made our community a lot stronger because everybody is going through this simultaneous thing, which has never happened in my, in my lifetime, not that anyone I know is ever aware of. And um, it's something that we're all going through together that's uniting all of us. And, you know, it's like this sort of shared human experience and fans are missing shows and musicians are missing shows and we're all sort of going through it together. And it's, you know, people from Chile are connecting with people from Russia who are connecting from people with people in Nashville who are connecting with people in Ottawa, Canada, like, and they're, you know, we're all sort of having this shared experience. And I get to see that a lot um, in my fitness challenge, Body Shred, and in my Patreon page too, we have these two communities which are like really tightly knit. And it's all people going like, hey, I'm dealing with this like this. Does anybody have any tips for that? Hey, you know, I'm trying to restring a Floyd Rose for the first time. Who knows, who knows how to do it? And like they're getting advice from this community all over the world that you wouldn't normally meet because we're all forced to kind of go online and socialize online. And I think that's kind of a, a beautiful of side effect, if you will, of this awful year. <laughs> Oh, but you're right. You got to find that silver lining. There's definitely, you know, an oppor opportunity and all of the adversity. And I definitely agree, like being able to connect and just like from where, where I've been getting to getting the opportunity to sit here and hang with you, like that might not have happened if everyone was out touring and everything like that. So like as a guy who works with other musicians and teaching young people to be able to highlight some of my favorite musicians and get to talk with them, I think that that's a really special thing. Totally. Yeah, it is. And my schedule has been so actually like I think more busy than ever during this time because you know musicians were trying to find a way to pivot and make you right. know make living other ways um, because most of us don't even have the skills to get a normal job. People go, why don't you just go get a regular job to go work? I was like, I don't literally like, no, it's not that at all. I just like I don't really know how to do anything else. Like you know, the only the only things I know how to do are shut down. So, you know, unless it's something like driving for Uber or whatever, which I, I think is an amazing backup plan for a lot of people, you know, we're all just trying to find ways to pivot and, and do something else with this time. So I actually think this has been the busiest and most productive year that I've had in a long time, just not really doing the fun stuff that we all like to do. Totally, totally. I get it. And what I'll do is when I repost uh, the podcast of this and then repost this, I'll put the Patreon and all your links at the bottom. So oh, we can just let all the socials in one place. I love the entrepreneurial side of things. I think something that I'm always trying to instill in the, in the people I get to work with is when I was growing up, I wanted to be Metallica. That was my goal. I was like, I'm going to be James and my buddy James, ironically, is going to be Kirk and we're going to go be Metallica. And Kirk. as I progress through yeah, life and <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I made, I realized pretty quickly that it's okay to not, become the top of the top, 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 but you can still find ways to sustain. And if you have a business mind and to be able to do that, and it's so cool to me that so many musicians are now branching out in a more public way and saying, well, no, I have this, I have that. And it's so cool to see a way to make it work using those skills, no matter what. I think that's very inspiring. 
it's it's definitely it's definitely different. It's different than I imagined my life being, you know, when I was a young guitar player, just wanting to be Steve Vai or Joe Satriani or Marty Friedman or like any of my guitar heroes, it would have never occurred to me to need to know the prices of different blend of t-shirt. You know, like if I want to get a 50-50 blend, if I want to get a tri-blend, if I want to get a 100% cotton, if I want 100% cotton, but I want it to be soft, if I want it to not shrink in the wash, like these are the things that like I now as an entrepreneur and musician need to know. Like right. the sort of like mundane nonsense, you know, where can you get cheap eight by tens printed? How fast can you get them shipped and shipped out to somebody that's going to do fulfillment? Who does do the fulfillment? Do you do your fulfillment? Do you send stuff out yourself? Do you delegate part of it here and there? Like there's so much. And then, you know, you get into the clinic side and you get into the lesson side, like what you do. Um, I have an online lesson program that I do. And then you know, once you get into that, it's like, who's hosting it? Who's, how do they pay for it? Is it a recurring thing? Is it a one-time fee? Is it like all this kind of stuff? There's so many things that I just had no interest in when I started playing guitar. <laughs> it's still kind of had no interest in now, but it's, it's part of what my job is as a full-time musician in a pandemic. Very cool though. I think that that's definitely inspiring to hear you talk about it. I think opens the eyes to a lot of young musicians out there saying, oh, it's okay to know. And then it, I think it's important too, to like, if you know that stuff, it can kind of protect you from some of the darker sides of the business and people taking advantage and, you know, where the money is going and making sure the product that gets out to the fan is what you want it to be. And, and hands-on is the way to be hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, most, a lot of people don't go that route and a lot of people get taken advantage of, you know, a right. lot of people overpay for their, their merch or, you know, are paying, you know, all these different fees or this and that. There's there's so many things that can go wrong if you don't know every aspect of your business. And, you know, in a time like this, we can't, none of us, myself, you, anybody out there watching, you know, you can't afford to be taken advantage of by other people. You know, everybody's trying to make a living. The people that are taking advantage of us are just trying to make a living, you know? Right. So we all have to be on top of our game and on top of every aspect of what we do to, to stay afloat at this time. Totally. Totally. Um, the fitness side of things. So that's, my girlfriend is a, a singer. We've been doing music together for eight years now, but she also uh, worked as a fitness model and, and helped me lose a ton of weight, which sadly I put back on, but I'll, I'll get it off. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it is. You're a very lucky guy. She sounds amazing. Yeah, she's, she's really cool. Um, I, I think that when I was growing up, when you played guitar, you, if, you couldn't be an athlete and a musician, which maybe is just where I was from, but it was sort of, if you're a guitarist, you know, you're partying and you're this, this and that. And and I think being not only a great musician, but being a role model with the healthy side of things and all that is just such a cool fit vibe to put out there to the world. Um, was the fitness always part of your story or? Oh, not at all. If you see old pictures and videos of me, I was a mess. I was a complete mess. Like, you know, I was definitely you know, growing up in Los Angeles. I was that hard partying, drinking all the time. You know, it was it was real bad. Um, even so, even my first year with Alice, like I was getting getting better at that point because I was like, okay, this is this is serious. Time to take things more seriously. But I mean, I was still drinking every day. I would still drink before shows. Not you know so much that I couldn't get on stage, but. I would still drink before every show and a lot after. Um, and then in 2015, I got sober. And after that, I really just started, 
taking everything a lot more seriously. And I thought if I'm going to do this and it's Phoenix over socks, like it's great now that I am, but the actual process of doing it is the worst. Like I hated it. So, um, so I thought I'm going to make this worth it and I'm going to get in like amazing shape and I'm going to finally like get my body where I want it and, you know, get my health the way I want it because, you know, I, I wasn't healthy and I wasn't happy. You know, I wasn't super, super overweight or anything, but I wasn't healthy. And so I started working out a lot sort of as a substitute, you know, a lot of people when they quit drinking, they find something else to replace that activity in their life. So instead of staying out late at the bar, I would get up early and lift the bar and uh, like that sort of became like, I don't even want to use the word addicted because it, it what's well, not like that. Like if I miss a day of the gym, it doesn't bother me. But uh, it is sort of like that feeling you chase that endorphin feeling of like, I had a great workout, you feel so accomplished, you start your day getting sweaty and, you know, taking good care of your body. And it makes you want to eat healthier and feel your body better when you're in that mindset. So that's when I got more serious about fitness. And then a few years after that, after I lost actually 50 pounds, five zero, um, so many people were asking me how I did it. And I was like writing, you know, on my phone, it's like super long Instagram comments, responses like, well, this, you eat this and you can try this. And this is my coach and this is how I work out. And this is the thing. And finally I was like, well, maybe I should just put out a program and make it something super affordable. You know, I never wanted to like exclude anybody from it because I think fitness should be for everybody. So I wrote an ebook. Um, along with one of my coaches, I wrote a workout that people can do from home, from anywhere, uh, which has now come in very handy <laughs> because I was just doing it in hotel rooms, but now it's, you know, it's nice to have something you can do from home. And, uh, we started doing the body shred challenge. Um, and we just finished the third one. Actually, we just, I announced the results today. Um, my winner lost 52 pounds in three months. Um, super happy, healthy, you know, we promote complete positive body image, no unhealthy weight loss strategies, no shaming, no nothing, just cool rock and roll people that want to get healthier mentally and physically. And that has been a huge, huge positive driving force in my life because, you know, they get the benefit of this awesome community, but I get the benefit of it too. And I get to see people blossoming and getting healthier and feeling better and making friends. And it's that sort of community sense that we were talking about earlier. So it's, it's changed my life in so, so many ways. That's awesome. Again, that, that's super inspiring stuff. I mean, I, I remember we used to subscribe to muscle and fitness uh, magazine and I'm flipping through it. And actually when I told my girlfriend, I was talking to you, she's the worst musician in the, and she doesn't know any guitar players, but yeah. I was like, remember the girl from WrestleMania? And she's like, she's the one who's shredded. She's, she was in the magazine. I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's cool that you, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And it, yeah. it, it grows your brand too, which is really awesome. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a cool thing to get to talk about the things that I'm so passionate about to an audience that has zero idea who I am. Right. You know, it's, if I talk to a bunch of guitar players, they're like, Oh yeah, it's Nita. Like everybody pretty much like knows my whole story in the guitar community. But if I come into the fitness community, you know, and I, I did a, a feature on bodybuilding.com. I was in muscle and fitness, the regular one and muscle and fitness hers. And, you know, a couple of different, you know, publications in the fitness industry. And then it sort of, it puts what we all love, you know, this, this style of music, whether it's instrumental music, rock music, all this kind of stuff, it puts it into that audience. And that audience goes, Hey, there's people that care about what I care about, you know, being healthy and fit and taking good care of yourself. 
And then maybe now I'll go see a concert. Maybe I'll go buy a CD. Maybe I'll go, right. you know, follow on Instagram or stream a song on Spotify. And so that really, it helps me, but it helps all of us in the end. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. I'm looking at my list here. Okay. I'm going to pivot and get into gear now. We're going to talk right. gear, fitness to gear. Um, These are my favorite things to talk about. I'm good. Cool. Um, my first guitar was an Ibanez RG760. I, I loved it to death. And uh, nice. a buddy of mine had an S model guitar, and I liked his better. So needless to say, I think your signature model is fantastic. Thank you. I've, uh, I've had a couple other Ibanez artists on here. I had uh, Jake Bowen and mm -hmm. Yvette Young. Both of them were also super cool. What was the process in designing your signature model? So... I, like so many other guitar players, have been designing my signature model in my head since basically I started playing guitar. So my first guitar was a Squire, and it was the black and white, you know, Fender Squire. And the first thing I did was take the white scratch plate off and put a black one on. And so like that was like literally first guitar before I even knew how to play anything. I was like, this is, you know, I, I want to make it how I want to make it. And it's a terrible guitar, you know, but like, you know. <laughs> And, but you're, you're always sort of customizing things and, and every guitar player on the planet, anybody says that they don't think this is deluding themselves, which we're also good at guitar players. But, you know, you get a new guitar, you're like, man, I love this. This is so great. And then you start playing it. You're like, eh, if it only had a maple fretboard or if it only had this pickup. And a lot of it is switchable. You can put your favorite pickup in or you can swap the input jack to where you like it or you can, you know. If it was just a little bit more like this, or if the neck was just a little bit flatter, or if, you know, there's a constant stream of what ifs um, before you get to your perfect guitar. So the Jiva, my signature guitar, is that guitar. It's the Goldilocks guitar for me because I wanted uh, African mahogany body. I wanted a quilted maple top. I wanted an ebony fretboard. Uh, I want a certain sound with the pickups, which uh, I had gotten so close um, with DiMarzio pickups before, but I hadn't quite found the sweet spot between having a ton, a ton of attack, like a deactivator, and that sort of vocal, almost like singing quality of an evolution. Mm -hmm. And so like I was getting there by using a deactivator in the bridge and an Evo in the neck, but it just, they didn't quite sit where I wanted them to together. Um, and they sound so different in different guitars and, and all of that. So um, when finally, I think it was, I was an, an Ibanez artist for 10 years before um, my signature guitar came out. And when they finally, you know, we, we sat down at lunch, we took a meeting, um, they made the official offer. I cried. <laughs> and uh, once I calmed down, uh, my amazing A&R rep, Mike, was like, okay, well, you know, here's here's some ideas for, you know, here's like sort of a blueprint of what, you you know, of the specs. And, you know, you can just fill it out whenever you want. You know, this sort of like, we have like a list you can check off, like, I want this body wood, this, you know, neck, this, that. Um, and so if you can get it done in the next couple months, just think about it. And I was like, we can do it right here. We'll do it right now <laughs> on this table. And we sat down over sushi and we sketched out the Jiva and nothing changed. There was not one single change from what we talked about in the restaurant. The guitar was exactly as I wanted it. Um, the only compromise that I ended up making was to do the original one, the Jiva 10 in the, in the Indonesian factory. And the reason, you know, every guitar player wants the Japanese, you know, the super, super high-end model, but I wasn't willing to compromise on it. The first one being something that a lot of people could afford because I think wow. 
it should be a good guitar that gets in a lot of good players' hands. And the same Indonesian one that is sold in stores is the same one that I used on stage. I don't have a special custom shop one. There's literally no difference whatsoever between mine and the one that you see in the stores. And that's important too. I think it's important that you stand behind the guitars that you put out. Um, so that was the big compromise. And the Indonesian factory has such a bad rap from such a long time. The QC is amazing over there now. Like the Jeebas that they're cranking out are stunning. I just got one as a, um, I just got one of the new ones as a prize for the Body Shred winner because, you know, the person that wins my fitness contest gets a Jeeva. And I was looking, I was like, this is like, this is nicer than some of the ones I have. <laughs> like, I almost <laughs> want to like send him one of mine and keep this one. Um, so then uh, the Jeeva 10 has been out since 2018, um, has been a, a really, really cool success for Ibanez and for myself. And then this year in 2020, we put out two new versions, which are the Jeeva Junior, the more affordable version, and Jeeva X, which is my Japanese, finally, like the one that that I have always dreamed of having. And actually, I literally have it right here next to me. For Jiva X, we ended up going with my uh, get it, first ever color scheme, which is like the black on black on black as sort of like a nod to my first guitar. So cool. So cool. Yeah. So yeah, that is. And then uh, I guess a couple more of the interesting factors about it. Um, the inlay is kind of unique um, because it has a heartbeat. and the spikes in the EKG lines correspond with the normal fret markers. So you have three, five, seven, nine, twelve, and so forth. But the cool thing about it, and now it's funny, and now I'm giving you my clinic speech, which I haven't done in a long time. That's good. That's good. The cool thing about it is um, that the higher up you get on the fretboard, the faster the heartbeat gets, which is kind of a cool thing. Like I could not have designed it that way. It just goes with the dots. But I love that you get like that quicker heartbeat when you get up to where the shredding happens. Yeah. It tends to go up. Um, it's got luminescent side dots here. So you charge it up with an LED light like the one that I have going. Or you can even use the LED on your phone, like the um, flashlight on your phone. Charge these up so you can see at night. They're called lumen lays. So if you're on a dark stage like I am 90% of the time with Alice, um, that is a total lifesaver as well. I'm trying to think of anything. Uh, they do come, the Jiva, the Jiva 10 and Jiva X both come with my signature Demarzio pickups, the Pandemonium. And so that is sort of like, for me, the big factor of like, this is what really, really makes it mine and unique and sound like me is that sort of, I think we went through one design, you know, one design revision. There were no changes made to the Jiva and there were nine of the pickups, like nine. Wow made so we just kept working at it and working at it and working at it and now i think they're perfect i really do i'd say you know the, the pickups are the part that drives me the craziest because there's so many pickup options and cycling different ones in and out it's not just like changing strings it's a process so that's always fascinating to me when someone's designing a signature pickup like how long it takes to make that happen but that's oh, yeah. so cool I was on tour, we were on the, the Deep Purple tour with Alice and my poor tech, Brian, like, cause I wanted to test them on stage. I didn't want to test them like, you know, I didn't trust my ear in the dressing room. Like I want to hear them live on stage in my in-ears and like really hear them how they go. My poor tech was changing pickups once a week. Like, so I would, you know, I would play them for, you know, for two shows and then I would sit down, I'd write an email to, you know, Larry and Steve over at DeMarzio and I was like, okay, this is great, but it's a little bit too high end. Da, 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 da. 
and they go, okay, so you know, a few days later, they'd overnight something new to the next stop on the tour, and then poor Brian, I would just bring it to him like, I'm sorry. St. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Satia, my tech, never complained once. He just, okay, <laughs> he swapped them out, and, um, and that was, I mean, I think that's the best thing to do is trial by fire. How do you know what it sounds like at a low volume? You need to crank it. 100%, totally agree. I think it's cool too, and very considerate of of you know players of all stages in their in their journey to make the first one that a little more affordable Indonesian one. And I think the stigma and this sort of headstock snobbery it, it really is an outdated concept because I think stuff coming out from all over Asia is a lot better than it used to be. Totally amazing. Uh, I actually, I was uh, I was doing a stream with my Patreon a few days ago, so I have a bunch of guitars here right next to me. This one, um, I think this is, what is it? A, I can't remember. So the Silver Wave is the finish, but I can't remember the exact model number. I grabbed this off the wall at George's Music in Pennsylvania when I had a clinic there, and I was like, I love this guitar. Like, what's the story on this? They're like, this is like a $500 guitar. Like, and I was like, really? I mean, like, you know, even my mid-range guitar is a $1,500 guitar. Jiva X is like, I think $32.99. Like, so I have expensive taste in guitars. This $500 guitar is gorgeous. I play it exactly stock. I didn't even change the pickups. I took it, I put it, I played it on stage that night for the first night of the Alice Hailstorm tour. I didn't change a single thing about it and I love it. And it just kind of goes to show you, like, I love that term headstock snobbery because it doesn't mean anything now. It doesn't, doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter who designed it or where it's built. All that matters is that it plays well. And this little $500 S-Series plays amazing. That's so cool. I, that's like, especially around this time of year, that's a conversation I have with parents of my, uh, you know, my elementary and high school age students. They want to get them a gift and they're like, trying to just go right to the top. And I'm like, Hey, if you want to do that, that's cool. But you don't, you don't mm -hmm. have to like, don't stop thinking like you want to think and trust it, it, You're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, hmm. Okay. So this one is, I always phrase it incorrectly. So I'm trying my best to get the words in the right order. Okay. Um, I would say that legit nearly 60% of our students are female girls. And I think that's so incredible. I personally, some of the, the young girls that I work with are blowing my mind with how great they are already. And, and I'm so excited to see how far they take the journey. Um, being a female artist in a industry that can be a jerk to all genders, do you have any tips for a young female musician stepping out into this world? Well, first of all, that was really nicely phrased. So that's the best I've done. That's why this is the season finale. I can't do it yes, any better. Really nicely phrased. Um, much nicer than what's it like being in a, gr a girl in a rock band, which is how it's usually phrased. And that's so ignorant. I don't. Know <laughs> um, best advice for girls navigating this tricky world of being a girl in a band. I mean, honestly, my advice for girls is the same as my advice for young dudes. Like it really is. And it holds true for both. Um, so I'm just going to give it for both, but it really, it really, really applies for both. And that's, um, there are always going to be people that doubt you no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter how great you are. Uh, I was just having this conversation this morning uh, with Josh that, 
you know, you take a band like Metallica, you know, we were just talking about Metallica, the biggest rock band that has ever existed, in, the biggest metal band that's ever existed in the history of metal bands. And they put out something new and people trash talk it all, all over it. You know, if Stairway to Heaven came out today, people would be going just complaining and whining and YouTubers, you know, and the blabbermouth comments and all the stuff. Like, you can't do anything. You can't please everybody. You know, not in this day and age. So you need to not focus too much on pleasing everybody and not focus too much on the naysayers and the negativity that's out there and focus on working as hard as you can, performing as best as you can, always be early, show up ready to play, you know, don't be asking a lot of questions when you get there, you know, what is this part? What is this chord? What is anything like show up super prepared, always be 15 minutes early, you know, always be the most professional, the easiest to deal with the, you know, and, and that, you know, being easy to deal with is, it's kind of important for a girl, you know, because maybe, maybe that's one place where I see there's like a, still a little bit of a stigma is, you know, you don't want to have people going, Oh, she's on her period or something. Like, um, you know, but, for guys and girls, you know, being showing up on time, I keep saying on time because on time is so important. Being early is so, um, and being super, super professional. And also on the flip side, not letting the, you know, I don't like the, the haters, you know, not letting the negativity get to your head, but also not letting the accolades get to your head because there's a lot of people out there that are gonna that are gonna say like once you start you start getting some notoriety and you start getting good and getting your name out there, there's gonna be people saying some crazy stuff. You're the best guitar player in the world. No one has ever been better than you. And like if you start believing that, nothing good can happen. <laughs> nothing good comes from believing that you're the best and you can never improve and you can never get better and you can never grow as an artist. So equally as important to shutting out the naysayers is shutting out people that will just tell you that you don't need to progress and that you've already, you know, you're already good enough. You always have to get better. You always have to progress. You always have to be better in any way that you possibly can. I love that. That was perfect. And you're definitely right. Like it, it, it's, it's universal. I know plenty of dudes who are on their period too. So, I mean, it's definitely yeah. a universal, uh, we all have bad days, but no, that, that was, that was awesome. Very yeah. well said. Thank you. Uh, Ryan Roxy will be the first one to admit that sometimes there are guys in our band that have their periods. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see one of my students on here. He's your biggest fan. His name is Jeremy. So, hey, Jeremy. Yeah, he'll love that. That's very cool. When I started doing these interviews, she's like, you got to get Nita. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can. I don't know. And then uh, here we are. So that's awesome. <laughs> Okay, here's another one of my big questions that I phrased a little better. Um, a lot of our guitar students push back on learning music theory because they have this predetermined reality that that stuff's not important for guitar players. What? And there's no right or wrong answer to that, I, but what is your take on that? Uh, I think that theory, I think a lot of people don't learn it because it's hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's confusing. Um, and I didn't learn it until I was, gosh, 20 or 21, you know, and I wanted to learn it, but I, and I tried so hard to learn it and I did not get it. I didn't get it at all. And me to me, it was like algebra, like, you know, you're in school and like the, you know, and everyone else is getting in the teachers, like, you know, what do you, this, this A equals this. And you're like, 
I don't get it. Like, how does this? And then as a guitar player, you go, I don't need any of that. I just, I can make it sound good just by what's in here. Like, I don't need any of that math. And then where did I learn it from? Frank and Bali modes, normal, no more mystery is where I finally got it from. And it clicked. And I was like, Oh, so if you start the next one at the thing, then it becomes the same thing. Like, ah, the thing, like, and like, even if you ask me right now, as like, you know, as somebody that has actually taught this, like I have a whole, I think it's like a 45 minute lesson on it in my guitar course. I still would have a hard time articulating exactly how the theory, you know, of each mode and how they go into each other. But I think as a guitar player, if you want to get to that, you know, that better level where you can improvise more fluidly and you can just sort of play and let the notes flow without thinking about it, at least learn the very basics, learn how the scales can move into each other so you can move in and out in between modes. And then if you want to forget it, forget it because your muscle memory will have it. Right. Like literally right now, if you said, you know, sit down and play, you know, a C Phrygian, I would have to really think about it. But if I was going to slide into it from somewhere else, I could get into it and I could play it. You know, if I'm going to play all the modes up and down the neck, I can play them just fine. So I think more, most importantly, just learn it and get the scale patterns in your hands, let your muscle memory get it. And then if you don't want to keep constant, this is just my opinion. I'm not a teacher, but I guess I am sort of a teacher now, but You're I'm not a, a teacher. <laughs> uh, I didn't go to music school. I didn't have any music lessons, but um, for what my opinion is worth, at least just learn it and have it in the arsenal. And then if you don't want to refer to the actual note of it, you know, and go like, okay, you know, it's like people ask me sometimes, what is your favorite scale? I go, I don't, who has a favorite scale? <laughs> they all work together. It's like asking, you know, like, I don't even know what, what it would be, what the clue would be like. They all work together. It's like one big harmonious hippie thing, you know? So I think just learn it get the muscle memory, have it, you know, be able to move between modes seamlessly and then don't stress about it. I have to tell you that I have asked that question to over 30 people and your response was by far the most in line with my teaching philosophy. Okay. So you just made my day. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> within our school. Say it? I'm curious. I'm sorry. What is your teaching philosophy about the modes? So, so for me, we have different teachers at the school and our whole style is basically we, when someone, similar to fitness, we try and get to the why. So if someone wants to learn to play guitar, we want to get, okay, what's the real, what's, let's get to the core of it, the root of it, and then sort of develop a custom tailored program to their wants and desires and learning style. Mm -hmm. um, and if someone wants to go like way down the theory hole, I have a guitar teacher for that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> for, 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 for <laughs> For me, like I think muscle memory and feel is so important. And uh, same thing, if you ask me to, to go into great detail as to uh, what makes Mixolydian different than Lydian, I, I, I have to think about it. You have to think but about if you it. Want me, I, I, you know it, but it's like you have to really I, think. Because I can't articulate the words. But to mm -hmm. me, if you, I can, if I think of modes like moods almost and the way it's making you feel. And, and I'm like a big feel guy. Like my favorite thing, notes are like the top, but it's like the roof. And then a roof without the walls and the plumbing, the electricity is just this weird half triangle floating through space. <laughs> so 
all the other intangibles, uh, the, the, the feel and timing and articulation and all that stuff, I think that that truly um, fleshes out music as this tangible thing. And, and that's just that's just the way I do it. But a lot of what you said just hits right to my core. So very cool. Hey. Yeah. And I get like a, I, who does I talk? I was talking to Mark Letiri and he was just like vomiting out like heavy theoretical stuff. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I love I that. Hang. Yeah. I like listening to people do that because it makes me, it keeps me sharp. But then sometimes, like, I bought uh, Vi's book, Videology, a few, whenever it came out, a year or two ago. And I was yep. so excited. Like, I, I pre-ordered it the day he posted about it. And I was, you know, I waited for, like, two months for it. And I was like, this is amazing theory for guitar players. And I, and I got it home, and I cracked it open, and I was like, <laughs> I was reading it. And it's like, I was texting pictures to my best friend, my keyboard player, Kat, who went to Berkeley. I was like, what is this word? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, nobody knew some of these words. And it kind of bummed me out. And I was like, why didn't, why doesn't somebody put this in an understandable format for guitar players that didn't go to music school? Because I had no formal instruction. I didn't have any teachers growing up. I learned from watching DVDs, you know, Rock Discipline, Inve, Play Loud, Marty Freeman, a lot of control, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So I don't have any frame of reference for what this is. And that was sort of the jumping off idea point for maybe I should make a guitar course because I can put it in the most layman's term because I'm the most layman guitar player that there is. I don't read notation. You know, I don't have any formal instruction at all. Like I'm a, you know, guitar players, self-taught guitar player. So I can probably put it in a way that people that know nothing about the theory part will understand. And that was, that was sort of the impetus for creating my course, Rock Guitar Fundamentals. That's so cool. I, I'm telling you, it, it's so in line with everything I'm doing over here. I mean, I got that Vibe book too. I pre-ordered it, same story. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, he has a lot of cool illustrations in here. Yeah, this that's, is that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> I have not opened it once since the day I got it, and I, I sort of, I don't like that about myself because I feel that I should have challenged myself to get through it, but. I've got I've got t-shirts to order. <laughs> I've got other stuff going on. At some point, I do plan uh, to sit down and get through that book. Honestly, if I was at the school right now and it wasn't snowing, it literally would be right here on my desk in a pile of other books that I mean mm -hmm. to look at. But yes. I just got I got I got lessons to book. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta eat. Wow, that's what it is. That was so cool. I love that answer. Um, how did? So how did? I want to talk about you playing at the Rams games because I think that's incredible. Um, but I think a big question for a lot of musicians coming up is how how do you get these type of gigs? Obviously, you're incredibly talented. That's a big part of it. And you're a nice person and you can hang. And that's also important. But like, how do you get the Alice gig? How do you get the Rams gig? How does that how do you get the WrestleMania gig? I think all of those things come with experience and setting yourself apart from the crowd and putting yourself in a situation to, I mean, experience, 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 experience is the key. I've been touring pretty much full time since I was 16 and I would take any gig, any pay, any style of music for years. I mean, I played so many gigs where like I was paying out of my pocket, you know, for the amount of gas to drive, you know, three hours to a show to go and play with some band that no one ever heard of again. 
you know, like, and I was, was rehearsing with tons of different bands and I was recording with tons of different artists. And like, I would take any gig that I could possibly get just to get experience. And what that did for me, you know, from playing my first show at 13 to starting touring at 16 to by the time I was 19, 20, I was like a super seasoned guitar player, like much more so than a lot of people my age, because I had this relentless drive of like, I'll try that. I'll do anything. I will do like, you know, pop, funk, rock, metal, you know, death metal. I went straight from a deathcore tour in Europe, you know, with uh, Despise Icon and Architects. And I was playing in a band called As Blood Runs Black, straight into a stadium tour with Jermaine Jackson in Africa, like wow. literally in the space of two weeks. And like, that was, you know, that was like my late teens, early twenties. Is like, I would literally go on any tour for any amount of money. Like, you know, I got back from that European tour, this, you know, this death core, death metal tour I was on. And I found out that I was only getting paid the $10 a day per diem that I had made on the tour. I wasn't getting anything after that. Like, which is kind of after the fact, that kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> taught me a very valuable lesson, get a contract. <laughs> uh, but each one of those things was an amazing learning experience, you know, going straight from that into Jermaine Jackson, you know, playing Michael Jackson songs and Jermaine Jackson solo songs and Jackson five songs, which like was totally out of my wheelhouse as a 19 year old shred kid from how from Santa Monica, California. Like I had no frame of reference of that style of music, but I just threw myself in wholeheartedly and just went for it. And the, the drive to just say, yep, absolutely. I can do that is something I think a lot of people sort of take for granted in this day and age. And I guarantee you, if when they called me up for that Jermaine Jackson gig when I was 19 and they said, you know, can you play funk? And I was like, well, you know, I'm not really sure if you can give me some examples. And, you know, I could sit with it for a couple of days and I'll see if it's something I'd be good at. And I'll get back to you and let me know. I guarantee you they would have never called me. But because I went, yep, absolutely. When do you want me there? What time would you like me to be there? I would love, you know, love to be there. Showed up, you know, 15 minutes early, like you like you must play all the songs properly, got the gig. And two weeks later, I was on a plane to Senegal. <laughs> like, wow. you know, because you just say yes, you say yes. And then you do whatever it takes to make that yes a reality. You can't just say yes. And then, you know, bluff your way through it and fake it. You have to say yes. And then work as hard as you possibly can to make that yes true. If you say, yep, I can do it. You better show up ready to do it. And I've showed up ready a lot, a lot, a lot of times. And if you show up ready enough times and you perform, you know, your ass off every single time and you give the best show and, you know, you're making sure people are walking away talking about that guitar player on stage, you know, that is what leads to, you know, the stepping stone of bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger gigs. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, hustle. Go out there hustle. and do the work. Yeah, that's. Some people, you know, uh, Instagram entrepreneur culture has made that work not made that word not as cool as it should be. But I think that's a big part of life. You know, do the work. Oh, yeah, doing the work, showing up. You know, loading your own gear. Like you know, I take a lot of pride that you know, in all my club band days. You know, with my even my solo touring band now. Like you know, I don't expect people to carry my gear for me. I don't expect you know. As a young guitar player, if you're, you know, especially as a girl, you're showing up going, can somebody help me get my 412 out of the car? Like, it's already right. a red flag. <laughs> like, you know, show up, carry your own shit, be prepared, you know, like, be professional. And 
make sure that you are the person like you know if you if you're like looking for like those stand out those rams gigs the alice cooper wrestlemania that kind of stuff you have to stand out you have to stand out on stage and my goal was always like i want people to leave the show going who was that guitar player and that's that's still my goal now <laughs> like even when it's my show even when it's my name on the marquee i still want people to walk out going like who was that like anybody that didn't know who i was before i want them to go back and look up who that guitar player was. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, you talk about the Instagram culture, the influencer culture, the YouTube culture, people get very complacent just sitting and playing guitar because you, gosh, you know, these YouTubers, they make an amazing living, much, much better living than most touring guitar players, you know, and you sit at home and it's, it's hard work. I'm definitely not taking anything away from that, but you're not, you know, it's not cold. You're not tired. You're not, you know, driving nine hours to get to the next show and showering at a rest stop, like all that kind of stuff, that real world um, hustle and grind and experience like that goes a very, very long way. Completely agree. Completely agree with you. And hopefully that will inspire future generations, um, you know, just to, to just do the work. That's really cool. Yeah. There's no substitute I, for work. No one will do it for you. Right. That's, that's, again, drawing the parallel between music and, and fitness, you can't buy it. You have to do the work. It's just that exactly. simple. Exactly. I think that's what drew me to fitness is like, no one, no one can, no one can do it for you. No one can do your push up for you. You know, you have to do your push up. you have to do it. And, and, you know, yeah, maybe people can get plastic surgery or better coaches or better this, but no one can outwork you. I, I grew up in a family with a lot of money around kids that had a lot of money. Um, and I saw that happening constantly. You know, um, my mom was a teacher at a, a small private school. And so we didn't have hardly anything growing up. But I was around the Van Halen kids and, you know, the, the girl whose dad invented the Xerox machine and like this kind of stuff, Harrison Ford's kids and, and you know, this and that were all in my school. And I was watching them all get Range Rovers for their 16th birthday. and you know, this kind of stuff. And by this point, I was already going on little DIY tours and it sort of drove me and fueled me even more because I was like, well, they're getting a Range Rover, but they can't play guitar like I can, you know, right. like do all this kind of stuff, but they're not going out and playing shows. Like, you know, I was going out playing shows just about every weekend when I was in high school and none of those kids with Range Rovers are doing that. <laughs> so it that was kind of like what drove me. I was like, you know what? They might have all these things, but they will never, ever outwork me. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's inspiring. Thank you. I have two more parts. I have my rapid fire questions and my desert island questions. So um, I asked this question to a guitar player. I won't say who it was, but his response, I say, if you're on a desert island, you can have one guitar and one amp and uh, one pedal. And then he pulled out a 59 Les Paul and a Dumble and a Klon. So <laughs> no, no, it was uh Zach Myers from Shinedown, actually. Oh, awesome. I love yeah, that. He is. He's super cool. Uh, we like watches and we like sneakers and we like PRS. So we, we hit it off very well. But that was the flex of all flexes. But um, that doesn't mean it's the right answer. So if you were on a desert island, what would you be your um, guitar amp and pedal? I'll take uh, my Jiva X and uh, I'll take my, it's a cheating pedal. But I'll take the Boss GT1000 because it's all pedals in one. 
the original GT1000 with the uh, expression pedal, not the GT1000 core, which would be more convenient for the island, but I'll take the one with the expression pedal. And it uh, doesn't really matter what you put it through. I'll just, just like, how about like a big PA? <laughs> no wrong answers. Which is actually my exact setup at the Rams games. Yeah. Yeah, no amp. GT1000 direct into a gigantic PA. WrestleMania wow. too. Wow. Yep. No oh, Sounds great then. My first uh, fancy multi effects thing I had a Boss GT3. This nice. is like 1998 or something. Now they're on the oh, yeah. 1000. Like the giant. Yeah, yeah. You've come a long way. Yeah, <laughs> is pretty amazing. Awesome. All right. So, in my grand finale of my season finale is uh, a series of rapid fire questions, uh, one thing or the other, all music related. Okay. Um, it's not it's not a ton of questions, but there's no right or wrong answer. You don't have to defend your answer, but you can if you want. Okay. All right. So uh, humbucker or single coil? Hum. Okay. Les Paul style or Strat Easy style? Question ever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was a very quick answer. I like that confidence. That was good. Easy. I'm not really anyway. Humbucker, yeah. <laughs> uh, Les Paul style or Strat style guitar? Meaning Strat. like a big hum. Okay. Um, if it were to be a Gibson, would it be a Les Paul or an SG? Pass. Okay. If it <laughs> I have an SG, actually. I, I do have an SG from a long time ago, so I guess that. Okay. If it was a Fender-style guitar, Strat or Tele? Pass. Okay. And then, uh, oh, okay. Oh, well, then the rest of these, you're going to pass on these too, probably. No, I won't be. I won't, I won't do it. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll answer normal. Uh, if it was a bass guitar, it would be a P-bass style or a jazz bass style? Uh, I'll take a P-bass. Okay. And then if it were to be an acoustic guitar, um, uh, Martin or a Taylor? A Taylor. Okay. I had a, I um, did, my dad had a baby Taylor, and I liked playing his baby Taylor. So. Cool. Uh, the next one is an amp one, but your, your shirt answers that, so I'll skip that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then for effect. It's just Marshall or Fender, which oh, is, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough question too, because they really do kind of different things, but. Very different things. Well, you know, it's a tough question, but for most guitar players, it's probably an easy question because I think every guitar player has a preference between, a strong preference between one or the other. Yes, I agree. Um, effects, okay. delay or reverb? Delay. Fuzz or overdrive? Overdrive. Phaser or chorus? Ooh. Phaser for uh, one for the right riff. I'll, I'll take a phaser, but I wouldn't use it very much. Okay. That is the right answer in <laughs> perfectly phrased. Phaser in the right place is perfect. Too yeah, much phaser is not perfect. I'll, I'll put a little chorus every once in a while on a lead, but I, I, yeah, I'll take a phaser, but not use it very often. If I put on a chorus pedal, I just start doing Zach Wild squealies, and that just makes me yeah. feel happy. Yeah, that's, that's its purpose. Anyway, <laughs> you went up. <laughs> Um, what do we got here? Okay, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles for the songs, the Stones for the attitude. I like that. Um, within the Beatles, John or Paul? Paul. Okay. That's also the right answer, I think. Um, Zeppelin or Floyd? Zeppelin. Okay, and then last one. In the realm of Pink Floyd, is it Dark Side or The Wall? I don't know anything about Pink Floyd. Really? 
No, Holy nothing. Shit. Alex makes fun of me. Everybody makes fun of me, but I um I don't know anything about Pink Floyd. No. Well, you should. I yes. am aware. Yes, uh, I've been told. <laughs> I have um, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like for me, Zeppelin is one of my top five favorite bands of all time, and I just mm -hmm. think it's digestible, and you just the riffs are iconic. And you can't do anything wrong. But like, if I'm like doing work and I just want my brain to take music in, but not like be analyzing what's yeah. happening, I could put on pretty much any one of the Pink Floyd records and just have it be like, it's like, I love Nine Inch Nails. I think it's mm -hmm. like that, but like proto Nine Inch Nails, if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll tell you a funny story since we've been sort of lacking in funniness. I'm usually quite funny, <laughs> uh, but I did, uh, and this is the this is the part where all the adults watching this are just gonna roll their eyes and go, I don't like her anymore. But um, I was on stage with Alice and we don't rehearse as a band. We just come in and do long sound checks for a couple of days before a tour. And this is even when we're starting a new tour and adding a bunch of new stuff, we just come in and like hang out on stage for a few days and like run the set several times. Um, but we don't ever do formal rehearsals, like formal tour rehearsals. We have never, I've never done one once with him. Wow. Um, so we were getting ready for a tour sometime, maybe 2016, 17. And we were gonna do, um, I forget, we were gonna do My Generation, I think, by The Who. No, I can't remember. No, we did do that. It was a different song. But um, then they said at the last second, they said, we wanna do uh, Pinball Wizard. And I was like, great, that sounds, that sounds great. And they're like, okay, let's start it. I was like, I need to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you need to learn it? They're like, haven't you seen the thing? The, like, we you know, all the stuff. Like, no. What are you guys talking about? And they all had like this huge frame of reference. There was this big discussion going on about you know this song about Tommy, um, which I have still not seen. <laughs> and they're like, you haven't seen that? And it was like this huge, you know, it's the same thing with the wall, dark side of the moon, all this kind of stuff. It's like this whole frame of reference that playing in a classic rock band, I do not have. And it's like being the only one that wasn't invited to the party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Alice was so horrified. I thought he was going to send me home, like <laughs> go go up oh, and no. watch room and go watch Tommy right now. <laughs> uh, but he was like, "Who even are you <laughs> to be standing here with me, telling me that you don't know this like incredibly important piece of music history?" So that's how I always feel when people ask me about Pink Floyd. Like I, I don't know. I, I have some history work to do, I guess. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've never seen Tommy either. Good. So I knew the guy. I have some work too. Why, why would yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I like Pink Floyd's music, but sitting through the wall, the movie, I can't do that. And I've never put it with Dark Side and Wizard of Oz either. I just like some songs. So you're okay. Okay, good. That makes me feel a little better. Thank you. 100%. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, well, those are my questions. This has been so cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for letting me be the finale. I feel very special. Oh, my absolute pleasure. This is, uh, you know, when I, I was reaching out and Josh has been super cool writing back to me and stuff. So thank you. And you guys stay safe. Have a wonderful holiday season. Um, hopefully the world will be okay soon. And then uh, shows will happen and NAM will happen and everything is going to be cool. I feel very, very positive that it will. And I'm looking forward to meeting you down the road and hopefully meeting a lot of you guys watching down the road. And, uh, Keep you in touch with everybody. If you guys want to hang out on social media, I'm Hurricane Nita, and uh, I'd love to chat with you guys on there. 
Awesome. Awesome. And then I'll put all the socials and the links for the Patreon and everything in the uh, podcast, which will go up later on tonight. Perfect. Thank you very much. Awesome. Nita. Thank you so much. Stay safe and be well. Thank you. Be safe in the snow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.